Sociology 110. We're talking about William LaBeouf, and we had just finished on page two, where he said that the work of educational psychologists, no, the educational psychologists know very little about language, and even less about black children. And then he writes, the concept of verbal deprivation has no basis in social reality. In fact. Black children in the urban ghettos receive a great deal of verbal stimulation, hear more well-formed sentences than middle-class children, and participate fully in a highly verbal culture. They have the same basic vocabulary, possess the same basic capacity for conceptual learning, and use the same logic as anyone else who learns to speak and understand English. The myth of verbal deprivation is particularly dangerous because it diverts the attention from real defects of our educational system to imaginary defects of the child. And as we shall see, it leads the sponsors inevitably to the hypothesis of the genetic inferiority of black children, which the verbal deprivation theory was designed to avoid. So this is why it's important. It diverts attention away from real problems in the educational system and blames the students themselves when they don't do well. That's basically a hallmark of our entire educational system. Um, you guys went through school and you know how boring and lifeless and how most people go through school are basically are taught that they're not intelligent. And uh, then we blame them for feeling that they don't like school. Um, and the other thing it does is that it leads inevitably to the innate deficiency argument. Uh, in other words, the genetic inferiority of black children. Later on in the page, he ties the concept of verbal deprivation to cultural deprivation. Cultural deprivation means you have a deprived culture, and that's why you don't do well. That's the culture of poverty argument. So verbal deprivation is a subset of cultural deprivation. It's a more specific kind, but it's in the same category. Okay. Then he starts talking about research on black children, and on page three, in the first paragraph, he writes, the most extreme view which proceeds from this orientation, and one that is now being widely accepted, is that lower class black children have no language at all. That's an amazing thing to say. What's interesting about this is that you guys know from rap music that uh, urban black culture in the United States is very sophisticated, they make all kinds of interesting uh, arguments that the verbal style is unique and uh, powerful. And yet, these educational psychologists, and this work goes, goes back several decades, uh, actually tell themselves that they have no language at all. This is really uh, a good example of bad academic work. Okay. So the person he starts talking about is a guy named Basil Bernstein, a British social psychologist who argued that lower class language consists of a kind of incidental emotional accompaniment to actions here and now. He writes, Bernstein's views are filtered through a strong bias against all forms of working class, working class behavior. Said so he sees middle class language as superior in every respect more abstract and necessarily more flexible, detailed, and subtle. 
this strongly influences the work of Bereiter and Engelmann. Um, and so uh, Bernstein argued that middle-class speakers have an elaborated code of language and working-class speakers have a restricted code of language. And it was a, his way of saying that middle-class speakers are smarter, uh, can, can think better, and that the language of working-class people is what prevents them from being intelligent. <laughs> so you see again how the class bias and racial bias kind of overlap. This has been true uh, actually from the beginning of uh, the United States of America. Okay, so uh, he talks about Ryder and Engelman's work and the restricted code of language. Um, farther down on the page, he writes, he quotes uh, Bernstein, the language of culturally deprived children is not merely an underdeveloped version of standard English, but is a basically non-logical mode of expressive behavior. In other words, black children can only express emotions. They cannot think or say things logically. <laughs> he gives a detailed example of the kind of work that makes people say this. So on page four, you'll see that. He says, linguists and psycholinguists who have worked with black children are likely to dismiss this view of their language as utter nonsense. Yet there is no reason to reject writers' observations as spurious. Spurious meaning made up. They were certainly not made up. On the contrary, they give us a very clear view of the behavior of student and teacher, which can be duplicated in any classroom. So this is really interesting because he's going to give us an example of exactly why Bereiter and Engelman come to this conclusion. And we'll end the podcast here and start with the example in the next one. Thank you.